You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Ben, my man, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. How are you? Oh, I'm hanging in there. Uh, it's always fun dealing with technical difficulties when you're trying to go live, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, it's crazy. Like, I, I have this new laptop, and I don't know why the camera's not working. So I went and got my old laptop, and it was booting up, and it just it's never done this before. It just shut down <laughs> out of nowhere. Uh, so it's just, you know, perfect timing. Yes, yes, yeah. I, I just got this new audio interface the other day, and each time I've gone to use it past three podcasts, I've... I've had it's always fun that like you buy something new and you're like, cool, this is going to make my uh, my life easier, make my workload better, make my my podcast, my products better. And then like it's like it never works out that way, at least immediately. You always have to work out the kinks. And and the first time you go to use something new, it's it's always going to, uh, you know, give you a fit. Oh, yeah. Especially <laughs> with audio interfaces, from. like audio interfaces are very uh, annoying, in my opinion. <laughs> Do each time I've so I just got an audience. I don't know how much you know about interfaces. I just got an audience ID one four, um, which is a you know I mean it's not like a breaking the bank type of audio interface, but it is yeah. uh, a higher than a beginner level uh, audio interface. But it is not user friendly or intuitive at all. And it feels like every night that I've used this so far, I've I've yet to come up with like what the consistent configuration is for it to work. It was <laughs> like, it was like the first night I, I t- time I used it, it was like to get everything working. I had to do what I'm actually doing tonight. And so I'm glad I remembered what I did the first time. So what I'm doing now is the same setup that I used the first time. But then last night I recorded with James Jenneman on his podcast. Um, and that didn't work at all. I had to do something different. 
So it's like, I, I don't get it. It's like every night, I hope I'm not having to jump through hoops and, uh, um, you know, fulfill whatever arbitrary set of uh, requirements I have to fulfill in order to make it work. So <laughs> it's a it's a learning curve. I'm sure I'll figure it out. But. Oh, yeah. I had, uh, what is it, uh, Focusrite, like 4i. Yeah, the Scarlet. Yeah, yeah. Scarlet, yeah. Everyone has that one, though, I think. <laughs> Yeah, I had I didn't have that. I had one that came with this microphone I'm using, which is a Rode, and so it's nice. the Rode NT1, and I bought it in a bundle that came with this boom, uh, like this boom arm extension here that's bringing it up to me, and it came with an audio interface cool. that was decent, but it had a little bit of background noise and stuff, and it's annoying. Like when you're going, it was it wasn't bad when I wasn't doing live podcasts because I could edit that out. Right. But when you're going live, it's like, well, the live version is there forever. And yeah. that kind of noise and feedback is annoying. So this is supposed to be a lot better in that department. And so far from my testing of it, it is. But um, but yeah, it's just not as user friendly and intuitive. But at any rate, um, so we we talk a lot on Twitter and stuff, man. And we talked at you were yeah. at the um the uh you were at the lppa convention and the yes, uh, take human a action bash out in pittsburgh but yep. you know i don't know too much about you personally so i wanted to start out just kind of to get your background um you know like you know i guess like what your upbringing was how you came to libertarianism and just kind of like the things that you're doing yeah so um basically i grew up in a you know suburban household um two very religious uh parents very conservative uh evangelical uh, parents. Um, and, uh, I was actually pretty involved at, uh, in my church for a very long time. Uh, I would play in the, the band pretty often. Um, uh, and I was, I would attend it very regularly. Um, what did you play bass? I played bass. Okay. Nice. It wasn't like, it wasn't like the official church service band. It was the other band that played for middle schoolers. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but it was, <laughs> it was, you know, it was still pretty fun. Um, so yeah, um, you know, uh, I got into, I would say I got into politics, um, mostly cause, uh, you know, uh, of what my dad does for a living. Um, my dad has been in the, uh, secret service for a very long time and, uh, I, uh, and I'm allowed to say that it's not a secret. Um, but, um, he ever, you know, growing up, uh, he would talk about, you know, the presidents cause you know, that's, that's his job is to go, you know, uh, protect them and stuff. And I've always been curious of uh the authority figures that um sit above us and claim authority over us because of that so i was always interested in i guess the concept of authority from a very very young age i remember asking my dad questions as like a six-year-old like well why is this president allowed to do this you know um but uh, it was really the it was really the 2015 2016 election that that got me into politics. Um, I was not old enough to vote yet at this time. I was around 16, but um, uh, I, I thought Donald Trump was awesome, <laughs> uh, and uh, I, uh, I I don't know. I, I was watching a lot of Fox News at the time, and uh, as a 16 year old, I considered myself part of the Trump train. And I was a huge Ben Shapiro fan and all that, but then. Um, I was, I was watching the news one day and someone mentioned Gary Johnson and I had never heard of this Gary Johnson fellow or this libertarian party. So I went on Google and I did some research and, uh, what really, what really got me at first, uh, was, was, uh, 
that libertarians supported legalizing weed. Um, just as a you know, 16 year old, that was enticing to me. Um, but the longer that I I uh, like read on lib, uh, read up on libertarian stuff, um, the more I I actually came to accept the philosophy, you know, uh, and and embrace nonviolence. Um, and I like to say the prioritization of consent. Um, and, uh, so you know, I, I, Gary, I'm, I'm a post Ron Paul libertarian, which is kind of weird. I know you are too. Um, I'm a, and it's weird that Gary Johnson is the one that, uh, like did it for me. Cause he is I, like my opinion of Gary Johnson now is not the opinion I had of him back then. <laughs> I right. Make that clear. Um, but, uh, I want to also give credit to Adam Kokesh and his uh, like YouTube videos. Um, they were really what solidified my stance in the actual philosophy. Like Gary Johnson showed me the party and I thought it was cool, but Adam Kokesh like got me into the philosophy and I read his book freedom while I, I was in too. high school. Yeah. Yeah. That book really uh, influenced me. Um, also, what was it? Um, Being libertarian by David Boaz, I think is another book I read in high school. Um, I don't think it's called that. I forget what it's called, but um, they were very influential to me. And uh, so uh, ever since then, I've just been shit posting on <laughs> Twitter about libertarian stuff. Um, I should also mention, sorry, by the way, I'm nervously rambling. Um, oh, you're fine. You're fine, dude. <laughs> but uh, I should also mention, I went through a very militant atheist phase at one point uh, uh, when I, between the ages of like 15 and 17. Um, very militant atheist phase. I came, I became very disenfranchised with my church uh, because one of our guitar players in the band came out as bisexual and they kicked him out because of it. And that never sat right with me. Oh, thanks, Drew. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, and uh, I have since renounced atheism. I don't think it's, uh, uh, I don't think it makes sense to me these days, but um that was a key aspect I left out of that upbringing. Um, so yeah. Renouncing it. That, that's interesting because my understanding and conversations with atheists going back years, uh, a lot of atheists would be triggered by it, by that statement because they'd be like, well, atheism is just a position of not believing in something. So rejecting a not believing in something, uh, you know what I mean? Like whenever you try to, talk to a lot of atheists and you, if you say something even like oh like i don't i don't agree with the atheist perspective or the athe atheist worldview they'll be like no atheism is just a a a negative position you can't ascribe uh, to atheism a worldview or a or, or or anything it's just you know it's it is literally just a position of not being convinced or not believing in something. Um, so, so when you say I'm, I'm, I've, I've rejected atheism, it, it, I feel like a lot of atheists would be, you know, put off by that statement. And I think I know what you mean by it, but I don't want to straw man. I mean, I'm assuming at this point that when you say you reject, re have rejected atheism, it's not that you've become a Christian, I, I would imagine, or become yeah. religious, but you're, yeah. are you saying you're just kind of more, um, just firmly in a like agnostic position of like, just not really knowing what your beliefs are or what, what, how would you explain your beliefs currently right now? If you, you know, to, to expound upon that statement of rejecting atheism. 
Yeah, so I actually uh, have been calling myself a deist for the past few years at this point. Okay. Um, uh, I, I, I became convinced, you know, I, uh, I became convinced. And uh, um, I also went through a period of my life where I was a bit of a psycho, psychonaut is what they call it, I think. I was really experimenting with like LSD and stuff. Um, and I don't do that stuff at all anymore. Uh, uh, I definitely definitely wouldn't be able to do that these days but um it i had some very spiritual experiences that really hmm. uh impacted me uh through that um and uh just the older i get i'm not that old i'm 21 but the older i get the more i'm like this this there's something else going on here i do believe in creation i do believe in uh like intelligent design i think uh uh um like humanity uh, and, and all this is, is too complex to, to be explained by, you know, the experts or the scientists. I, I don't, I don't trust it. So, um, yeah, I call myself a deist these days, uh, just because I, I, I think the idea of there being a creator, like makes total complete sense to me. Uh, I don't think this creator interferes with its creation, uh, very often, um, though that's that's what i would say yeah and you know there's there's not many people going around calling themselves uh deists nowadays at least not that i see but that that is an interesting um uh label to ascribe yourself and i i've always tried you know my position has always been that deism is a more logical position than than atheism because yes um i i and you know just in my opinion because i think that uh, I can very easily make the argument for intelligent design and fine tuning and just just the idea that um, even without like adding Christianity to it, just the idea of like our concepts of morality and consciousness and 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 spirituality and stuff, just reality to me is incomprehensible in a naturalist materialist worldview. You need something more, but that gets you to deism that alone doesn't get you to Christianity. Um, yeah. so, uh, there's, there's other arguments you would have to, to, to make, like, I don't know if you ever read, um, CS, uh, Lewis in his book, mere Christianity. Um, but, um, even he, he kind of takes a, he, he kind of does that. He kind of, he, he makes the bridge to deism and just to the idea of believing in a God and in a creator and then expounds, you know, more beyond that later. But, um, but he's very clear to kind of like make that uh, distinction. So, but that's that's interesting. I didn't I didn't know that about you. I've I've seen some some of your your tweets and posts going back that um, you know we're we're criticizing religion and maybe you know just from my point of view came across a little bit like you were anti theist to a point um, yeah. anti religion and and it's like. I can get that to to an extent because even though I'm a Christian, there are times where um, the church behaves in such ways that I find myself kind of feeling yeah. kind of anti-theist at, at certain times or anti uh, anti-religion and stuff. So um, you know, I, I can I can appreciate where you're coming from and that story about a, a person who was bisexual being kicked out. I mean, I'm sure that was a tough experience to go yeah. through. I know that. It wasn't like immediately after that. Sorry. Yeah. It wasn't immediately after that where I was like, screw Christianity. I'm an atheist now. It was, that was like the first domino that fell, you know, that started making me feel very disenfranchised with the faith. 
Yeah, and it's it, the, the relationship between I, I wasn't prepared to talk about this tonight, but we can. I mean, it's a the relationship between the church and the entire LGBT community is one that is is really tough. I mean, yeah. I, I it, it's something that I struggle with. It doesn't it doesn't make me question my faith, but it does it does put me in a weird position within the church because I feel like I don't I don't really fit in anywhere in in like the church i don't i don't like going to a lot of the progressive churches because i feel like their theology becomes completely ungrounded from the bible in an in an attempt to kind of push social progressivism with a christian message but then Mm -hmm. a lot of the more social conservative churches become uh too focused on being anti-lgbt which to me is just Mm -hmm. neither of those two positions to me reflect christ it's like i think that I can have my opinion on if certain behaviors are sinful or not, or, or at the very least, if they are, um, you know, uh, modes of behavior to encourage or not. Um, but at the same time, it's like, I don't see a need to make a special, to make a special focus on, uh, homosexuality or, or any kind of like sexual sin or orientation or, uh, or gender identity in these things, because to me, we're all fallen human beings and we all sin. And um, if you believe in what Jesus did, he died for all sin. So to me, it's like, um, if, if if I'm a lie, if I lie or I cheat or I steal, if I'm unfaithful to my spouse, if I'm like, you know, addicted to pornography, um, if I'm, uh, if I hold hate in my heart for other people, like these are all, sins of the same level that being like an active homosexual would be. And Mm. I think grace covers all of those. Um, Now I think that we have to repent of our, of our sin. And that, that, that becomes where the topic of homosexuality and, and LGBT topics in, in general become very murky because I just, there's, there's generally two sides in the church. One side that looks at these behaviors and, and these, or like the ideas of gender fluidity and completely rejects them. And then ones that fully embrace them. And I'm kind of agnostic. I really don't know. Um, And and it's like, I I hear good arguments from both sides. And depending on when you catch me, you know, at a point in the year or or a month or or the week, I might find myself leaning more one side versus the other. Um, But but I I haven't really settled in, in one position yet. And it's an interesting dichotomy because like on one hand, you know, I think a lot of people, their intuitions are, well, it doesn't hurt anybody. So if it's not hurting anybody, why would you care? Especially being a libertarian, right? Well, right. And 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 to be clear, even if I were to fall on the 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 side of this conversation where I would say I do think homosexuality or or uh, denying your gender the gender that matches the sex that you were given at birth, if I were to view those as a form of sin. Um, I still as a libertarian would be like, well, you have the freedom to do those things. Right. And so that, that has to be at the forefront no matter what. And I think a lot of the reason why this conversation becomes so charged with emotion is because for too long, Christians were not, um, were not libertarian. I mean, and still to this day, many are not libertarian. And although maybe they're not as loud about being anti-gay marriage and anti 
uh, like like restricting the rights of these individuals as maybe they were in the past. Um, people haven't forgotten that, and yeah. there still is kind of the like, okay, like are you not talking about it because you just can't win? And if the the opportunity to win politically came back, would you suddenly be uh, back on that bandwagon again? I don't, I, you know what I mean? So oh, yeah. it, it seems to me like a lot of Christians would be. And I, I reject that because even if I were to say these modes of behavior are sinful, well, um, to sin or not sin is a free choice that we can't take away. Like the only things that I think any type of government should be used for are for the is for the arbitration of property rights if there's a dispute over property rights and the administration of civil justice if somebody is to break the uh, the, the the NAP basically so if somebody is to initiate force against somebody else that's to me the only role of government now whether you are a minarchist and you that form of government is a small like night watchman state or if you're an anarchist and you believe in a polycentric private law market uh, legal system that that's where libertarians are divided but we what we all agree on i think is that the only role for the act of governance is for those two things and uh that would solve a lot of problems here for sure um because for too long christians were using the state to push christian social norms into law and to force people uh, to basically hide what they were and to lie about it or to, uh, you know, risk varying forms of, of legal discrimination or legal punishment um, for, for not complying. And so people, you know, when, when there's a lot of, like, I do see a lot of anti-Christian sentiment, uh, like, on the left and in our country, but a lot of it is kind of earned. And yeah. I... I, I don't shy away from that. Like when people have a hostility towards Christianity and religion, um, I try to first listen to them and and hear them out and and apologize to, to be like, listen, like your anger and frustration is is valid. And, uh, you know, even if I even if I agree with those Christians in a sense on like these certain things are wrong, they were never wrong in a sense that like it was the role of, of government for to, to to be used against you in that way and christians were wrong to do that and yeah. they're reaping kind of what they sowed now yeah well you have to be allowed to make or to sin you have to be allowed to sin or otherwise like you you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to learn and grow from that right um but i would also i would also say like it, it seems to me that like modern american christianity has become so uh, entrenched with the war machine uh, mm-hmm. and uh, the Republican Party in particular, um, and and a sense of of cultural conservatism that, at the end of the day, was really what what disenfranchised me. I'm I'm a very like socially progressive person, um, and uh, I, I I just don't see uh, I, I I don't see how how those views that I hold those social views would be able to coincide with uh, like, like a, like a Christian, a Christianity worldview. Um, but, um, but yeah, uh, I definitely think sin should be like too many Christians still to this day uh, would like to use uh, the coercion of the state to uh, enforce their values. Um, and there's, there's a better way. Like if you're a Christian and you want 
if, if you view these certain activities as sin, right, and you don't want people to engage in them, you're going to have a lot more success doing like doing so peacefully, like like advocating uh, that people stay away from these certain activities because of these uh, negative side effects to them. You know what I mean? Rather than forcing people uh, and locking them in a cage when they do something that you don't like. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was a um, there was a conversation um, on a podcast I watched a while back. It was um, uh, Rachel Gilson, who is a author with uh, Sean McDowell on his podcast, and uh, uh, Rachel was a person who had like an LGBT past, who was like a lesbian, but then came to Christ and then felt convicted. Um, after coming to Christ to uh, to no longer act on those sexual attractions for the same sex and to instead go into a a uh, a marriage with a man and have a family and she still and she says she still she didn't do like I don't believe in gay conversion therapy and she didn't do any of that um, she said I felt more fulfilled dying to my sexual preferences to have a family with another man and to uh, enjoy the things that that I think God had for me, and to trust Him that even though I have these uh, drives to to do differently, that this is a, this is a uh, a way of life that will bring me more ultimate happiness and fulfillment over the long run. And to me, if Christians were talking about homosexuality in that context, it would it would come across across less bigoted and be a lot more productive of a conversation um, than. The, the conversations that Christians unfortunately t tend to have about about this subject because um, when you start out by telling people that they're you know uh, abominations or uh, evil people because they yeah. just have a a track because it's just to me like well we're all again I don't see a need to I mean in the Christian worldview we're all sinners and we all fall short so it's just like I I I, I feel like it's it's too often christians who are examining the uh the speck in the other person's eye and not taking the log out of theirs you know what i mean and um and then when you add the political entanglement on top of that it's just bred a toxic church culture that um you know that's that's made this topic even harder to 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 get into but for me as a christian it's just like I can't find myself compelled to spend too much time caring about this subject because uh, it's not really that much of a salvation issue, right? Well, I, I don't think it's a salvation issue. And also like as far as where I can expend my outrage and my concern, I'm a, I'm a bit more concerned with dropping bombs on people halfway yeah. across the world <laughs> and locking people in cages and, Actual act like if we could get to a point in society where we ended all the violence of the state that we're justifying in the name of God, that like that that is such a high red alert in my mind that the whole like what people do in their bedrooms and let's have an exegetical conversation about what these passages about homosexuality are talking about. Like on one hand, I think it's interesting. I think it is important and conversations the church needs to have and again like i've i've i don't want to go into it so much in this podcast although it would be 
fun to do a podcast on this at some point with you or, or anybody else. I'd be it's, down. It's, a, it, it's a really complex issue and it takes a long time to unpack these scriptures and to try to give yeah. uh, like a good steel man of each position. Cause I, I think there are ways to steel man the Christian per- perspectives on why homosexuality is a sin that yeah. aren't bigoted and hateful. Um, but there's also compelling arguments on the other end. And I'm like, like I'm agnostic on exactly what I think the right answer is. And there's more pressing things that are, um, you know, in my face right now. Like it, it, again, like it, the problem is these things are happening and people aren't seeing them in front of them. If they yeah. were, they would probably act differently. Like oh, yeah. if you literally saw every bomb being dropped in the Middle East on a daily basis, weekly basis, you would, I can't imagine lots of people would be seeing this ongoingly and then still feeling the need to be very outspoken about like, well, my neighbor is sleeping with this guy. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. like, again, like wh- why is that our highest priority right now? Like when, and, and you know, when Jesus walked the earth, he didn't really seem to be going around making a, I mean, he talked about sexual purity, but he talked about, talked about it more in the sense of like uh, lust and committing adultery. And he talked a lot about people who like the Jesus liked to talk about people who were very concerned about their outward appearance of righteousness, but that didn't actually have the law written on their hearts and Mm -hmm. didn't live it out. And, uh, and who were, you know, engaged in these corrupt systems and entanglements that were, you know, the, the, the Pharisees were basically focused on their own power and status. And, um, and lots of people were focused on the political kingdoms of, 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 of men. And they, they, a lot of Jews rejected Jesus because they thought the Messiah was supposed to come and lead them against the Romans and overthrow the Romans. And they, they, they were just so focused on, um, you just like just like today on fighting over the course of power of the state and i think that jesus came to kind of remind us of to, to remind those who follow god um that that's never been what it's about yeah and jesus said i came to restore what was lost which was that intimacy between god and man in in the garden and ever since then man has been bowing down to uh, idols and other gods and worshiping, you know, other things besides God. And that's led to all these distortions and all these, uh, you know, uh, perversions and, and these empires of destruction. And, and I can't, I, I just, so that, that's why I started this podcast and, and it's, it's tough. Cause I see a lot of people who are like, like, like in your position, Ben, who um, have been turned off by, the church and it's like can't i can't blame them i'm turned off by the church right. um you know when i when i look to the bible and i and i read about uh, about jesus and i read different theologians and i you know it's like i don't have any problem when i go to church it's a constant struggle because there's a lot of you know people who are falling really short and it's not just the people who are attending it's the people in leadership too right no, yeah. Um, I want to say like that that person that you mentioned who uh, was lesbian who who you know found God and and uh, renounced that, if you will. Um, the left would look at that and call that like internalized oppression or some shit like that. Mm-hmm. Now, 
I'm a very socially progressive person and I agree with the left on a lot of social issues, but I look at that and I say like, well, that, that made that person happy. Like they, they, they benefited somewhat from that and you cannot say otherwise. Right. Um, And it's, and it's not even like she turned off that part. Like she says, I still experience same sex attraction, but she, she, she's what she said was, I felt convicted to trust God that this was a a better life for me. And that's always what it's kind of been about is about trusting God to, and like, like there's a lot of things in the Bible that are called sin that aren't uh, based in like you're committing violence or aggression against somebody else. Obviously those things are labeled as sin. And we have like in the 10 commandments, like do not steal, do not murder, do not covet, do not bear false witness. And, um, yeah, certainly we should pay extra care to the sins and the the evil things people do that are aggression because um, those are like it's one thing if you're slapping yourself in the face, people will be like you have, you have a right to do that even if I think it's stupid. But uh, yeah, you know the minute you start you know hurting other people that, that there's a problem that needs to be rectified because um, you're violating people's rights and their and their self ownership. Um, but the the a lot of these things in the Bible that were called like like I view if I was going to steal man very briefly like the the reason why homosexuality is wrong it's kind of the same reason that uh, adultery would be wrong or having a marriage of three or four people would be wrong or uh, having sex outside of marriage you know what I mean it's like mm-hmm. these things are wrong not because they hurt people they're they're sin because God has said this is what I laid out for you as um, the way that like, like there's there's nothing under the sun that's bad and everything is permissible and have, has its time and place, but, but everything in God's creation is meant to be enjoyed and to be done in the, in the way that God prescribes and lays out for us. And it's, it's like a really rough analogy is like a car and a car manufacturer and like the car manufacturer knows the right way to, to torque certain bolts down in the right way right. to maintain the car, the right way, the right fuel to put in it, the right oil to put in it, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And even more so than a car manufacturer knows what will be best for the car. It's kind of trusting that God knows what's best for us. And it, and a lot of like a good libertarian take on this is it's kind of about time preference, I think, because like as libertarians, we talk about like low versus high time preference. And I think a lot of the things in the Bible that God says are bad for us, people go, okay, but it, it, it feels right. And it feels good for me in the short term. But then God says, okay, but in the long run, these things don't lead to fulfillment and life and, and, and happiness, but, but they'll leave you uh, lacking and wanting more. Um, and God says, I want you to trust me to the thing, these certain things that you want to do, even if they're not hurting anybody to abstain from those voluntarily and to trust me in in you know whether that's celibacy or whether that's uh, doing what this woman did, that these things will will lead to a more fulfilled life, um, and and that's hard. And that it, it's not like I'm not saying I can't appreciate how difficult that might be for somebody. Um, there's 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 nowhere in the Bible where Jesus or God says you know following me is always going to be a cakewalk. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? It's like, um, it's, it's, but it's kind of like a trade-off. It's like, you know, if you'll pick up your cross and follow after me, there's, there's something worth while that you'll gain, but yeah. it's, it's not, it's not an immediate payoff, so to speak. But, but 
Christians, unfortunately, uh, again, there there are Christians who are preaching this kind of message, but I think for every Christian that says something like what I'm saying or what this other guy was saying or this woman in that podcast I'm referencing, which I should link in my show notes so people can check it out, um, there's two or three or five more that are going around saying, you know, uh, you know, homosexuals will burn in hell and uh, homosexuals are, you know, pedophiles and degenerates and, and, you know, speaking hate speak, you know, they're, they're, they're not loving their, their neighbor. They're not um, trying to, to, to help, you know, have positive conversations with people. They're, they're speaking, uh, you know, I, I mean, it, as much as I hate to throw the, the, the B word around that kind of behavior, a lot of times is rather bigoted. Um, mm-hmm. I think it comes, I think, I think for a lot of people that, that focus on that, it is sort of a, uh, it, it's not just that they're judging the sin and not the sinner. They're kind of, I think in a, in a way possessed by a culture, um, like a, like a subculture that, uh, you know, makes them view these people in, you know, as, as being abominations or abhorrent or, or, or something like that. Um, we're, you know, viewing people that live differently than you as, as, uh, as, you know, repugnant in some way. Um, so it's, it's, it's a little tough, but it's just, I, I can't blame people for being turned off by, by that. And to me, a lot of that comes from the entanglement of Christianity with politics. And I know that's something you referenced too. I mean, uh, you're, you're a little bit younger than me, but I'm sure you grew up, you know, and if, if you grew up in conservative Christian, you know, churches and households, I mean, the worship of the state and especially like the, the military machine is very intense in conservative yeah. Christian circles. Oh yeah. I was, I was just about to say like the, the these, uh, corrupt power structures have become God for so many people. And, and for so many Christians, it's almost like, uh, it's almost like, it's almost like, uh, uh, God, it's like a second God, you know what I mean? Uh, uh, it, it's very, very, uh, disheartening. And, uh, it, it really is, um, interesting to me when you break down like the 10 commandments and if you apply these principles consistently, it, it, it renders the state illegitimate. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's no... I mean, Jesus literally, I mean, like Satan said, uh, if you bow to me, I will give you the kingdoms of this world. They're mine to give. And Jesus flat out said, uh, no, be gone. My kingdom is not of this world. And you will bow to nobody but God. Um, my whole my podcast is named Daniel 3 after the story of Meshach, Radshach and Abednego, who refused to bow down to a state. Daniel himself refused to bow down to a state. Uh, the former got thrown into a, a fire, fiery furnace. The latter got thrown into a lion's den. Um, you know, the earliest stories in the Bible, I mean, M- Moses went and defied Pharaoh, right? I mean, Jesus uh, was was killed by Rome, and then the apostles were were killed by, by Rome for, you know, like in First Timothy. They said, we have to obey God rather than men. Um, first, I mean, First Samuel 8, God literally says, he compares... Israel asking for a king to when Israel um, put up the golden calf after Moses went up on the mountain after they came out of Egypt. I mean, to me, it's very clear, but I can't, I can't remember those passages being talked about in those ways at all. 
growing up in conservative, uh, you know, Christianity, it seemed there was much more of a focus on conflating the message of Christ with this like American patriotism, which I wanted to like, I like your Twitter handle, the anti-patriot because um, <laughs> it, it very much describes my, my uh, sentiments nowadays, which is um, it, like some libertarians, even libertarians who are anarchists like me will still use like the American flag and some American symbolism and terminology because they're trying to like reform them, I guess, or like, put a different spin on them and uh, i mean more power to them i guess like you're free to do that to me it's like i i can't the whole thing kind of makes me sick it's kind of like uh if you if you had like if you ate a certain food and then it made you sick and you never want to eat it again that's kind of how i view the american flag and the national anthem and really a lot of american culture and the the idea of patriotism that just it 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 kind of turns me off. It, it's yeah. it's not th th they aren't things that I can really try to even reform uh, in my mind. Oh yeah, and I wanna I wanna explain the the Twitter handle real quick because I don't I don't want to I don't want people to think that I am against patriots. You know, I'm not anti patriot. I I use the term similarly uh, to how the term anti hero is used. You know, it's not necessarily a villain per se. It's just kind of a, I don't know, like an edgy hero. Um, I, I consider myself like I, 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 I like the ideals that this country uh, was founded on um, and I'd like to actually embrace them. So in that sense, I'm a patriot. I'm an anti-patriot in the sense that I really freaking hate the government. Um, I don't like what it's doing at all. Um, and I think too many people that call themselves patriots are, are just shills for murder and corruption. So, yeah, absolutely. Where are your specific political views? I mean, within the, I mean, I know you're libertarian, obviously, but like, where are you in terms of like the libertarian spectrum, whether you want to give yourself a label or just kind of roughly define, you know, uh, what libertarianism is to you? And then specifically, I mean, also kind of like, where are you in that anarchist minarchist divide and kind of like what a, what, what do you think the role of, of governance is, so to speak? For sure. I'm definitely an anarchist. Um, and Good. I, uh, <laughs> um, to me, libertarianism is just the prioritization of consent. Um, hmm. and I, I really, I also really love Larry Sharp's definition of libertarianism where it, what is it? Uh, you can be as liberal or as conservative as you want to be, as long as you don't force that on other people. I think that's perfect. Hmm. Um, cause people often ask me what is a libertarian cause I'm really loud about it. Uh, right. and I will give, I'll bust out the Larry Sharp definition every time. And then they nod their heads and they go, Hey, that sounds pretty reasonable to me. But, um, I consider myself an anarchist. Um, I, I like, I, I haven't really been, I guess, labeling myself as a certain type of anarchist lately used to identify as an anarcho-capitalist these days, I guess I would identify more as like a centrist anarchist, um, whatever you, I don't even know if that's the right <laughs> term for that, but I, I see be like um, market market anarchist. I think yeah, the sure. More, yeah. Sure. I'm like flirting with that. I, I, I bought a copy of Markets Not Capitalism recently, and I, I'm looking forward to re reading that. Um, but um, uh, I, I see, I see uh, a lot of benefits in certain things like, uh, like worker co-ops and unions and, and stuff like that, like sort of, sort of like left lefty things. Right. But I'm also a fan of the market. 
um, I think, uh, you know, the market yeah, is so sort of the market. Just Sorry. Yeah. The market embodies nature in a way. You know what I mean? Sure. I mean, for, for me, the main divide um, and, and I don't care, like I don't need to argue labels. It's like I don't care what you call yourself. But to me, the main divide between the more left and right anarchists and libertarians is property rights. And um, as long as people aren't anti property rights. I tend to not care about what they label, label themselves. I've met people who define themselves as mutualists and libertarian socialists, but when I push them, they're really in favor of property rights. They just have preferences for what they'd want to see the market do. Yeah. But as long as you're not going to violate property rights to get the desired outcome that you want, then we're cool. Um, becomes an issue when some people... Um, become anti-property rights because they don't like certain results of the market, like inequalities and yeah. um, you know, d d uh, power that's not evenly distributed, resources that aren't evenly distributed. That's that's where the 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 problem comes in because then there can be like I'm all for worker like worker co-ops, unions, you know, all these things as long as they're voluntary and not yeah. being forced upon by the state. Um, they're part of free markets. I would you know I. I don't shy away from the label anarcho-capitalism because it helps to specify that I'm a property rights libertarian, but yeah. I don't, I don't die on that label. It's just to me, it's like, as long as you're not anti-property rights, then to me, we're, we're all on the same side. Oh yeah. And, and my stance on property rights is one that needs a little bit more development. I've read some Rothbard here and there. And, um, I read, I, I'm a, I've like about halfway through the ethics of Liberty right now, I think. And, cool. uh, um, I'm not, a, I, I don't, I'm not sure how cool I am with like his, um, homesteading theory just because, um, like mixing, mixing your land with the labor type thing, um, doesn't make that much sense to me. Cause like, what if I own a forest? What if there's like a bunch of, a bunch of like trees in my property and I mix my labor with this land by planting another tree. Now, how is anyone supposed to know that I have mixed my labor with this land? Yeah, you know, uh, homesteading and land ownership is an area of uh, Rothbardian, Austrian libertarianism that could use fleshed out a bit more. The answers are there, but they're harder to find. And I went through a similar journey you did where I was like really trying to understand like, OK, like I'm all for property rights. But can you explain to me when land and the resources around me actually become mine without a state because i don't want a state to have just a monopoly over all land and resources and then right. just sell it to people like you know that to me seems you know i mean evidentially to be a, a very bad a bad system but then it's like all right well how does it work out and a lot of the entries you get are just like oh well the market works it out and it's like okay well i get what you're saying and i believe in free markets enough that that makes sense to me but that's not a good satisfactory yeah. answer for if somebody it, actually wants some valid theories, we have to hash it out a bit more. Um, you know, saying I the market, bit, sorry, go, I, I, saying, the, saying the market will provide just as, as your default answer is a lot like telling people well, it's just part of God's plan. You know, like they need more explanation. <laughs> they they right. need more explanation. Yeah. I can't convince you to believe in God by saying something is God's plan. That's just as, that's that's very unhelpful. If you believe in God, like, if you already believe in free markets, or you already believe in God, those answers might be 
satisfactory enough, but even then, the intellectually curious will want, I think, more of a detailed answer. Um, I, I think it's kind of like, it depends on the context, right? And there's no one principle. The problem is like, what we want, I think what you and I want is like a clear principle of the, like a line in the sand where something becomes yours. And then if you don't do this, it's not yours. And the problem is it's a bit trickier than that. Like if you're out in the middle of nowhere and you don't have many neighbors, what you can claim is yours is different than what you can claim of is yours if you live in a suburban or urban yeah. environment. Right. So, yeah. so part of this it is kind of contextual and also kind of like, um, I don't want to say might makes right exactly, but it's kind of like that because like if I say I own an entire mountain, but nobody contests it, then is it a big deal? Do I kind of own it? Like, you know what I mean, if I say I own the entire, this entire Island and literally it's a patch of sand with nothing useful on it and nobody is contesting my claim to it. It's like, okay, well I guess functionally you own the Island, but um, it's not entirely it, legitimate, but yeah, yeah. Right. But um, in a, in a functional sense, it's like, OK, I guess you own it. But if you're, yeah. um, you know, in a more suburban environment and then you're like, uh, oh, I, I own the entire lake. People might go, uh, mm, we're going to have a problem with that, dude. Yeah. <laughs> so, it, you know, it's like the, the more people that are around you, the more property gets worked out through uh, like contracts, I think. And it's kind of like there's no easy answer because it's kind of like you almost have to just start going through examples of okay well if this kind of situation happened here's how it would get worked out and if there was this kind of dispute here's how it would get worked out or here's the kind of mechanisms the market would create over time um so when and and also it just depends on the people right because um some people can be neighbors and have a border between their property but they both might be pretty charitable and not care too much if, you know, like, like if we're neighbors and you built a really big shed or garage and it blocked part of my view or something outside, you wouldn't hear any bitching from me. Other people though, you can just plant a tree and you know, the tree might be a foot off the ground and they'll, they'll be preemptively bitching about, you know, when that thing grows up high enough to block the sun coming into my house and I'm not going to like that. You know what I mean? So everyone's got different temperaments and, 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 and it's just these things can be worked out in the market, but it just it's complicated because people are complicated. Right. It's like it, there there's sometimes we're so used to the state solving problems for us in a very simple way. Like with the state, it's easy. It's like, oh, well, land is owned when the state says you own it. Like, what's well, a very simple answer but it's also immoral and and the consequences of that are really devastating actually economically and and for human life and flourishing um the the libertarian market answer is like you need to write a book to to answer yeah. it but it is a better answer isn't it funny though that people think that libertarianism is too simple but that is <laughs> <laughs> well it's like it's, it's like the problem is like the, the libertarianism is simple in the moral philosophy, but yeah. then it's more complicated in how problems get solved because we reject centralization. Yeah. And statism is the opposite. Statism is like, oh, well, there's it's just a one size fits all solution. Just, you know, pass a law and just initiate force and force people to do what you say. Uh, mm -hmm. But the, the philosophy of statism is complicated because it's it's morally Ill illegitimate and people have to try to justify it with all these different, you know, like 
<laughs> justifications and, and things like that to explain how, you know, uh, you know, I know it's wrong for you to steal and you for you to murder and you to kidnap people and you to print currency and make everybody use it. But when we do it, it's okay yeah. because of social contract, blah, blah, blah. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. The social contract thing was, was really fun for me when I was uh, in a senior in high school, I, I took AP government and my teacher, I was very lucky to have a, like a pretty libertarian teacher for that class. Um, but the social contract thing would come up all the time and, and everyone else in that class, but me was, was very statist, um, and would always whip out the social con contract thing. Uh, like it's the, like it's the ultimate argument that, that, uh, demolishes libertarianism. Yeah. It's the, the only good part about social contract philosophy if you go back and actually study the original writers of that and there was a couple i mean Locke wrote about it and um uh who was the other one um ah, shit, i'm forgetting his name there was like a couple that really talked about the social contract i forget which one said it but the one basically put it this way which was like and it, it's kind of like echoed in our declaration of independence right where it's like the social contract is basically like um we we need something to dispute property rights and to deal with people who who violate natural rights and in order to do that we're going to give up some of our rights to create this entity but this entity serves us and the minute this entity turns tyrannical we are completely within our ba our bounds to take up arms and kill the motherfuckers and put somebody else in power <laughs> and it's like so like to me it's like the social contract is like if you're going to justify a state based on the social contract, you better be one of the loudest second amendment supporters out there yeah. or you're full of shit. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> that's, that's my uh, metric for minarchists and, and anybody else, which is like, if you want to, if you want to justify a state, you better at least be very, very good on, on, on uh, the right to, to own and bear arms because, you know, I still think that's a bad system. Um, but it's at least, less bad if you have an armed like can you imagine how much worse like i know our our state is awful but can you imagine how much worse it would be if we weren't armed oh my god it would be uh <laughs> we, I mean, we would, yeah australia we would be australia right now yeah pretty much so um well we, we've talked a good bit about religion and philosophy here towards the end i just i i, I know so you, you are um i forget your position i guess you're some kind of like uh, regional coordinator or something, I think, oh, for uh, the uh, yeah. YAL. Yeah, I'm a I'm one of the Pennsylvania state chairs for Young Americans okay. for Liberty. Yes. So I'm, I'm I'm vaguely familiar with with Young Americans for Liberty. Um, but I always get the confused with the other one, which is I think Students Young Americans for, for or there isn't that like there wasn't there one oh, uh, yeah, Young Yaf. Americans for Freedom like Yaf. Was, yeah, yeah so, that's the thing. Yeah. Um, so I've always gotten them confused. I remember when I was first looking into libertarianism and I like followed Ben Shapiro, I think he spoke at some Yao oh, things, but yeah, he was I a Yaf guy. He, he was a Yaf guy. Okay. Yeah. Ben Shapiro is a Yaf guy. I, I've 
very glad he is not associated with Yal. <laughs> right. I was like, I, I was like, I hope he's Yaf and not Yal because you know. if he's Yal, we'll, we'll have a little bit to talk about. <laughs> um, so, um, I mean, maybe give me like a little bit of background on Yal and like uh, what their founding was and kind of like what they do and then what your role exactly is. Yeah, sure. So Yal started for they started as uh, students for Ron Paul in 2008. Oh. Uh, yeah, and uh, and since then. They've grown. They've changed their name to Young Americans for Liberty. We have hundreds of chapters at college campuses, high schools, and even I think a couple at uh, prisons across the country. Um, and basically our main goal is to uh, educate students on the ideals of libertarianism, uh, small government, the Constitution, and whatnot. Um, and we also uh, try to get uh, like state-level candidates elected state representatives state senators and whatnot um and we are nonpartisan. uh we will endorse anybody from any party as long as they have ron paul ideals basically um so basically and, nobody <laughs> so ba yeah pretty much nobody. <laughs> yeah it's hard we haven't had a ron paul in a long time maybe we, we got i mean i, I kind of like massey and rand is sometimes good but uh, i mean there's some great great state level candidates um that true, we've true. gotten elected that could potentially seek higher office someday which would be cool but i i'm also skeptical on how effective uh you can be when you're in higher office like the federal level but um like people like jeff shipley um who i think uh, uh josh smith actually had on his show not that long ago you should check it out um he's he's a Yao candidate uh marshall burt actually a libertarian party candidate we got elected up in wyoming or we helped get elected um uh, so yeah, that's basically what we do. Uh, and we have uh, an annual event, uh, that every year has a different name, but this year is called revolution 21 and, uh, just have a ton of awesome speakers. there, awesome, uh, uh, organizations looking for activists and stuff like that. And it's just a, a, a libertarian event, uh, for the books. And I forget, are you coming to revolution this, this summer? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I registered, but I never heard anything back. So I don't know if I uh, okay, can, we'll can actually go or not. So we'll I'll, have to, I'll have to look into that. I'm open to going if I can. If not, I'll I'll go to one of the other million Florida. I think I need to go to Florida once this year. So Oh, yeah. I mean, I you mean, should go to the Tom Woods episode. Yeah, I was... Yeah, there's there's that too. So I was I was thinking I'd go to that and maybe the Yal thing if, if, um, if I'm able to go to that or not. I don't know yet, but... Um, so yeah, I mean the fact that it started out with students for Ron Paul. I mean that's a pretty, uh, pretty based beginning. I, I, I missed agree. out on Ron Paul. I was a, I was like a freshman when I think Ron's, uh, yeah, 08 campaign was, uh, going on, and I at that point was more left, like center, center left leaning, um, and and yeah, then I post high school became very left-leaning i was a bernie sanders supporter back in 2015 so <laughs> i've yeah. uh i've i've had a pit stop everywhere i was i was there for a while and then um then then left it had a brief pit stop in neocon land before i became a libertarian so yeah right before i was really into <laughs> trump in 2016 i also was pretty into bernie sanders uh until my dad sat me down and explained socialism to me and he was like right. so basically <laughs> if it's halloween right and you're going trick or treating, but your your little sisters decide to stay at home because uh, they're a little tired, you know. 
Uh, you do your best to hit every house and get the biggest pieces of candy and you come home. And then I just tell you to give like half of your candy to your, your sisters. And I was like, well, that sounds awful. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. That's like but, the, um, you, you ever watch uh, parks and rec? Uh, yeah. Every now and then. Yeah. Uh, that's like, I don't, know if you're, I don't know if you've ever seen the episode where Ron has, to, there's a, a girl, like, a, like an elementary school student comes into the room and like, no one's there except Ron. And she's like, uh, I need to ask somebody to help to answer questions to help me on my paper on uh, on the on the role of government. And oh, Ron I has like, yeah. yeah, like wide eyes. He's like, <laughs> and then he so what he does, he like eats half of her lunch. It's like, that's government. <laughs> and she's like, that's not fair. He's like, you're learning. And then she her, her paper gets turned in like why government matters. It doesn't. I'm so glad. I'm really glad Ron Swanson is like a like a mainstream fictional libertarian because he's actually a good libertarian. <laughs> What's well, funny is like I think they back. I think they were trying to make fun of libertarianism in that show, but they accidentally made it like look really legit. Yeah, so. I, they made it look cool in my opinion. But yeah, um, but being a, a post Ron Paul libertarian, like I said earlier, is just the, the weirdest thing because I'm surrounded by people that were super heavily influenced by the guy. I have no recollection of him. I was not paying a, uh, paying attention to politics uh, at all when I was what I was 12 years old when he was running right. for president a third time in 2012. So I, I, I had no care for that kind of stuff. And I, I, wish I, I, I knew a, I knew a good bit about him, but it was all biased information. And I, I was in speech and debate in high school. And basically, like, people were just like, okay, well, he wants to abolish the IRS and bring all the troops home. They're like, oh, yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> now, now, looking back, it's just like, what was wrong with me? <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, but it's like, even though like I'm post wrote Ron Paul at the same time, I kind of do credit him with how I got here because it was people who were uh, influenced by Ron Paul that got me here. Yeah, like exactly. It was Dave, Dave Smith and, uh, and 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 all the Mises, you know, crowd that that really uh, got me here. And, you know, if it weren't for. It's always funny when I hear the criticisms of like how the Macy's caucus only attracts some um, right wing people. Cause I was like, I was so very funny. left and they got me to libertarianism. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a funny, a funny criticism. I mean, sure. We bring right wing people in. I mean, we, we will try to appeal to anyone. We just don't pander to, and like, this is where like, um, I remember like the first time I saw you on Twitter, you were identifying as like, being in the Mises caucus or like, uh, like you remember, right? I believe yes. you are. Yeah. yeah. I'm a um, member. Yeah. So um, you're, so like you're a member, but you're like, I'm, I'm socially progressive. And like, that's yeah. such a weird label because like a lot of times people will just conflate like, like the woke sort of like the hard to label part of social progressivism that we all kind of, I think, hate with social progressivism in a broader sense and it's like i think most libertarians are social progressives to a point or at least even if they're social conservatives they at least take uh the position of non-intervention on yeah on, on social issues um but it just seems like these it's like I, I wish there was a better word i often will call those type of libertarians or those type of left-leaning people social progressives or and call their ideology radical social progressivism but it's because like i'm just 
I'm struggling for a good label for it. Wokeism kind of feels like a dumb word for it, but it's like, that's all I'm left with that or cultural Marxism, which is also kind of a weird term. It's, yeah. it's th these people are brilliant because like they're really toxic, but their, their movement is kind of decentralized and hard to like label and criticize because of it. Cause like, it's easy for them to kind of like, you know, kind of shift around being collectivized and lumped in with one another. Yeah, and the word woke is it means different things to different people. I was called woke last summer for telling somebody that I believe that the that there are like rampant pedophile rings in Hollywood and the government. I was called woke for that. Like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean there's there's dumb people on the internet for sure. I mean, I love when I get called It was a in person. Oh, really? It was, oh, in, it was in person at a protest. Uh, wow. Uh, <laughs> but I think he was using the word in a positive way. He was like okay. using it as like a compliment, which is which was weird to me. And and uh, until like I really got like addicted to like Liber Liberty Twitter and, and shit posting and that like I thought I, I didn't really see the word woke as as like an insult. Um but now it is, it is so. <laughs> well, it's like, I even sometimes use the word woke in a good way to describe libertarians. Like I'll, I'll use woke to be like, um, oh, that, that person is, um, or, or, or like people that just became libertarians. I'll be like, before the red pill terminology came in, I'd yeah. be like, oh, that person just is now like, you know, they were a status, now they're really woke in the libertarian sense. So it's just tough to label groups of yeah. people sometimes, but it's it just, is. I, I wish there was more people who were vocal and labeling themselves social progressives kind of in the way you are to kind of like, you know, make the other ones that are, I think they're really a minority, but the problem is like, they're a very loud minority. Yeah. And so they, they kind of make um, the, the left seem worse than it actually is. Cause like, I'm not, I, you know, I, I don't really like these labels. I don't like these labels at all, to be honest. Like, I don't really consider myself left or right or center. To me, it's like, uh, I don't know. You've like, I think that. <laughs> not even, I just like, it just, I don't know. Maybe it's just because I'm so anti-authoritarian. I just, I hate, I hate being boxed in and labeled. It's like, I don't know. Like, yeah. there are a lot of ways that someone could label me left and ways that people could label me right. And oh my God, yeah. I don't know. Like, people are complicated. Like, I don't think I need to fit neatly into a box of whatever expectations you think I need to fulfill. You know what there, I mean? It's Oh yeah. Th so. There are probably a lot of people in my personal life that probably just assume that I'm a leftist just because they know, they only know my social opinions. Like they know, they only know that I do believe that uh, white privilege is a thing. Uh, I do believe that systemic racism is a thing. I think the idea of gender abolition is interesting, and and uh, I, I would like to do more reading on that. I'm very, very socially progressive. I believe that trans women are women and stuff like that too. You know what I mean? So uh, people definitely would think I'm a leftist, uh, and and that's in in some ways maybe it's on purpose because I don't want to be <laughs> I don't want right. to be like lambasted for uh, also believing in like freedom of association uh or anything like that uh you always get called a racist for that but it's funny because like those kind of beliefs that you just stated are beliefs that people generally think that no one in the Mises caucus has and actually it's it's a fairly sizable portion yeah. i mean but the, but the thing is like you you have a lot of the same beliefs as some of these other you know woke or whatever people do but 
the way you talk about them and the way you approach it is not through this like toxic gatekeeping virtue signaling way that that they do where it's almost like they take these things and to me like it it's almost a religion you know what i it, mean yeah, like, absolutely to, to, to them and and i get a lot of criticism from them when i try to say like it's your ideology or your re religion and they're like oh you're trying to call transgenderism or homosexuality a religion or ideology it's like no i'm saying your approach to these issues is like an ideology or and a religion because it's basically like believe what i believe or like like the same their attitude is literally the same as the christians who are like the ones holding like the signs in the streets saying like repent now or burn in hell and it's yep. like that that same energy is what they have but just is, yeah. like different talking points and it's i think twitter just brings out the worst in these people i i've met yeah. rihanna coyle in real life i've met zach Britt in real life these wokertarians on twitter i mean i i hate using that that term wokertarian but that's what most people i guess would 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 uh, know them from they're cool people in real life like i have no problem with them i think they get on twitter and 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 i'm i'm definitely guilty of this too they just they just let it all out <laughs> yeah we, we've all been there we've all had we've all had tweets and facebook posts that we wish we could take back oh yeah um and uh and sometimes i i, I wish twitter had an edit button to save my life but it but it doesn't <laughs> at least facebook yeah. you can go back and edit stuff twitter it's like you either delete it and look like a coward or you leave it there but it'll it'll always be there to be uh screenshot and used against you so to catch 22 oh um God. but yeah. i don't i don't hate brianna um and i've had some conversations with her i've had a lot of conversations with uh with zach i don't i don't hate him um i don't really hate people in general there's there's probably like two or three people in that whole like loose group of people like the fakertarians loser brigade quote unquote um that that have a major issue with me but for the most part it's like i i criticize them a lot and i think they're being dumb but i don't i don't hate them i just you know i think they spend way too much time uh it's like you can even have your your disagreements and opinions on why you think maybe the macy's caucus or different libertarians are like you know going astray making the wrong choices or whatever but why is that your focus and and not just like okay like if we're doing it wrong go do it right and do it better and like let's just focus on opposing the state rather than all this infighting because a lot of what happens like in my perspective is people come after like like us like the the Mises caucus and and the tangentially related people and groups and then these people, you know, me included, punch back, and then they accuse us of like uh, wanting to purge people from the movement or the party or or hating on other libertarians. Like, no, like we're we, we just, you know, if you guys could stop spending all this time obsessing with us and 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 making all these posts and accusations at us, we would pretty much just leave you alone and just do our own thing. Like, I don't actually want to spend a lot of time uh, d debating fakeertarians or debating uh right. you know woke ideology or focusing on these things like these things are really low priorities of mine it's just you guys bring right. these things up so often that we're constantly put into a position of either trying to having to ignore you or trying to respond in a way that like you know exposes why your your attacks are ill-founded right. 
Yeah, that's why I have some of them blocked on Twitter. I just straight up, I'm, I'm sick of it. It, it. it is meaningless to me. I, I agree with you guys on on like trans issues and stuff, but I you gotta not you gotta learn to not give a fuck when another libertarian doesn't agree with you on that because they're not forcing their opinion on other people. They're not a threat to these people that you and I really care about and would like to see prosper in society. They're just straight up not a threat. All they're doing is having an opinion. Well, yeah, and it's like me and um, uh, our mutual friend, uh, David fight, like there are plenty of times where David and I have a disagreement or he says, I, I, I don't like the Mises caucus, uh, what they did here, or I disagree with what Dave said here or Mike said here. But like, it's like one time, often private. And if it is public, he tries to be fair about it, where he's like, uh, I didn't like this. Here are my reasons why. And then that's it. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like, it's not this obsession. And yeah. it's like, like no one's saying you can't criticize people like i'm all for good faith criticisms or good faith disagreements and and you know freedom of association it's just the the weird obsession that i, I you know i i don't know of any good solution to it um it's it's kind of a distraction and i just want it to end uh there are certainly people in the Mises caucus circles they get too uh, the other way, like too reactionary towards these people, and then oh, yeah. get get very like sometimes like I, like guys like let's not like let these people troll us into becoming worse versions of ourselves. Let's let's kind of yeah. model the the Jesus response here of like turning the other cheek. I think it's the best response in general to this kind of stuff, which is kind of like you know if people are are in bad faith attacking you and you take it on the chin and keep moving forward, those kind of people generally isolate themselves and expose themselves as being bad faith actors. When you punch down at them, a lot of times it's kind of like when you're in school, like I, this happened to me a lot of times in school where like, I wouldn't start a fight, but I was the one that would get in trouble because they didn't see the first punch get thrown. They only saw the yeah, second. Yeah, I've been there as well, man. And it's like, that's so much of what happened here, where it's like, the problem is perception is a bitch, especially on social media. And it's like, you can be 100% right in like calling out somebody and going after them because they went after you first. But if the perception is you're being a, an asshole and they're a victim, uh, you know, that, that, that perception can, can hurt your goals in the long run. And it's, you're, you're better off for the most part, ignoring these kind of people. Yeah. And, and I'm glad you brought up the school analogy because there is just a lot of straight up bullying <laughs> going on that sickens me. It's like, I, and don't get me wrong. I am, all for shit posting and and making memes that are offensive and i think the darker the humor the better i really oh, do yeah. but at the same time you got to be tasteful about that and when you're just like sh all you're doing is making fun of the way somebody looks it's just gross and it, i i don't know it, it's it's on both yeah, sides. Yeah, there's there's a weird line between shitposting and bullying and harassment that is hard to define. And I never want to be the person that's like the tone police or the 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 social media police showing up and you know trying to tell people what to do or say. Um, but but there are certain times where it's just like I I enjoy a lot of the shitposting and edge lording, but I think it's like there are lines where you're actually attacking people or harassing them that I think, you know, again, I'm not going to focus and obsess over that, but I do think it is in poor taste. And uh, if people call you out on it, I'm not going to be quick to come to your defense at the very least.
Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm really hoping Revolution 21 is sort of like a peaceful gathering because there's going to be people from both sides of this uh, of this uh, conflict there, and I'm really hoping it goes well. Um, I, I, yeah, <laughs> I hopefully not like the state convention because that was a bit of a jeez. Oh, that was. <laughs> I, that was a bit of a shit show. <laughs> I, I, some dude got up to the mic. I think he was from the like the socialist caucus or, or something. But he was like the angry white men. The angry white men. He looked at me directly, <laughs> and when he was like ranting about angry white men, and that's so and, ironic like, because like you're someone who believes in systemic racism and white privilege and and all this and but yeah, you just and happen I'm literally to be, like. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm even I would even this might be controversial to say as a Mises caucus member, but I'm cool with having a socialist caucus. I think libertarian socialists, I don't agree with them on a lot, but um, I, I think I think they're allies. I really do think they're allies when it comes to like dismantling the state. Um, and I, I, I don't have that much of a problem with them being in the party, um, but I'm still an angry white man. Uh <laughs> apparently yeah. i am pretty angry yeah, that, i am white and i am a man so it's not not <laughs> false but oh god um yeah that whole thing i mean um yeah i i don't know what much to, I, I don't know what to really say on, on on the topic of that i mean pa seems like a really weird political battleground here because it's there's um and the convention really showed that i mean there's a lot of growth here and that's exciting the factional side of the LP seems to really be at display here in Pennsylvania. So it's, it's interesting to be involved going forward. And it's, you know, there's a lot of like, even in my own County, when I attend my County meetings, this stuff spills over uh, into it and, and I have to deal with the drama and it's, you know, as a, as, a, as an anarchist, it, it kind of annoys me and this kind of stuff yes. is like why I don't want to be in politics because right. it's like, and so as much as I don't like the actions of these certain people, I'm also always, and sometimes like people misinterpret what I'm doing. It's like, I'm not trying to condone behavior of, of some of these people. And I'm not trying to say we're in the wrong, but it's more like if we feed into this kind of like factional infighting, we are kind of perpetuating a lot of the things that we oppose so it's it's a very hard line to walk, and the problem is, like, here's the problem, and it's the opposite. People think the Mises Caucus is a dictatorship that Michael Heiss runs, and it's almost the opposite, which is like the Mises Caucus is sometimes so decentralized that it's a bunch of individuals doing random shit, and yeah. it can be a bit of a uh, a, a chaotic, uh, you know, orchestra at times. You know what I mean? Yeah. And if anything, there might be times where Mike needs to 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 be a bit more uh involved and in, and this might you know this is starting to happen now that he's full time but you know more hands on and trying to like keep people a bit more unified in in the direction they're going and the rhetoric that they're using um so it, it it's it's interesting i'm i'm excited to see how things develop there and um yeah yeah it'll be i mean a lot of this stuff i agree with you gets amped up on social media but at the end of the day it's like we agree with each other on so much. I mean, like take a guy like Archie, uh, Archie flowers, for example, which is like one of the, uh, the poster boys for like the, the fakertarians and the, the loser brigade. And a lot of people in these Mises circles that were in like the shit on him. But, uh, 
you know, I've had a lot of private conversations with Archie, and although I find his hatred and obsession of the Mises caucus and of Dave Smith and Mike Heist to be like sometimes borderline obnoxious, he is a good libertarian when it comes to like the issues. And he's pretty well educated on a lot of the issues. And he defines himself as a minarchist, but in a lot of ways he's bordering on an anarchist because he, he's one of those like minarchists that believe in a, a voluntarily funded state. And I'm like, what? That's not what? Well, the difference. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, he's like, well, no, because he, he was like, no, taxation is theft. I was like, but you're a minarchist. He's like, well, I think that you should be able to pick and choose the things that you want to pay for. And these things could be funded voluntarily. I'm like, that's not a state. It's not a state anymore, Archie. It's a- <laughs> this, this same thing happened. I'm going to have um, uh, a friend of mine on the podcast next month, uh, Hody Johns who he had this same thing with Larkin Rose. When Hody came on the scene, he was defining himself as a minarchist. And then he got into a conversation with Larkin Rose and they had a debate. And Larkin basically got to a point where he said, Hody, you're an anarchist. You're just confused and defining (laughs) things incorrectly. Uh, He's like, he's like, you know, anarchists start like, again, like we're for, we're not, we're we're not against rules. We're just against monopoly and against violating consent. If you believe in, institutions of governance that are voluntary people can opt in and out and pay for them or not pay for them that's not statism that's 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 anarcho-capitalism or market anarchism so um i I do hope in the long run that this stuff dies out because um you know some people are going to rage quit which you see that and then i think the people that stay they'll eventually you know I, i hope eventually our hatred of the state and our love of liberty uh, wins out. I, I hope that too. And uh, I, I really am hopeful with what the Mises caucus is doing. I think Michael Heiss is a very inspirational person. Um, especially, I mean, at least to me, um, same with like Dave Smith and all them, all, all very nice guys. I'm, I've, I'm glad I've gotten the privilege to talk to all of them. Um, we do our, our, like that, that Mises caucus event. I mean, that was like a, a love fest. Yeah. I mean, and I, I talked with Dave for like an hour, hung out with Mike all weekend. I'd hung out with him at conventions before. Yeah. I mean, it's just, um, yeah. I mean, these people are, are warriors for Liberty and, but more importantly, they're just good fucking people. I mean, I, I just, it, it, and, and that's sometimes I think we can like get, we can get tribal, not even just across political lines, but just like when people go after our friends and people we look up to, we can get a little defensive. Oh, and, especially and me. Yeah, yeah. Like I will, I, I am one of the most defensive people you'll meet. If you're attacking someone that I think is a good person and has good character, then I'm coming at you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And, and these people like, like you, I definitely don't agree at, with Dave or Michael on, on a lot of stuff. And I've, I've actually had yeah. a lot of conversations with Michael over the phone about our disagreements, but we were able to remain cordial and, and deal with, yeah, <laughs> deal and that's, with disagreements that's, afterwards. That's the norm. People. Yeah. That's the norm. Like I disagree with Dave on borders. And I, I actually, we talked about this at the, um, after his speech Friday night at, at Pittsburgh, we were all out talking in front of the hotel and then the immigration thing came up and, you know, we had a very friendly cordial back and forth. And, like, I understand where he's coming from. I, I still come down on the open borders position, but I don't think he's 
a racist or even irrational person yeah. for coming to his conclusions. I can see where he's coming from. I, I actually disagree a bit with Mike on the issue of like systemic racism. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think you and I kind of agree more on, on, on that front, yeah. but you know, it's just the devil is in the details of how you define it. But yeah, um, really but yeah. like so many people just say, Oh, you're talking about racially disparate outcomes. And at that point it's just like, Oh, we just agree. We just use different terms. Right. It's like, I don't think it's always useful to define disparate outcomes that the state influences as racism, but for sure that for sure that reality exists. It's just, yeah. we're, we're debating semantics at that point. Exactly. But, it's it really, yeah. It, yeah semantics. Um, yep. But, <clears throat> um, well, we're at an hour and a half here, dude. Um, I really appreciate you coming on. I mean, I wish I had my head as, uh, on my shoulders as squarely as, uh, you do now at 21 at 21, I was nowhere close to <laughs> having as much of this shit, shit figured out. So, um, it was really good having you on talking to you. Um, is there anything, you know, I know you plugged the, the owl stuff. Is there anything else you wanted to, to plug or, or, or mention before we, uh, close out? Um, other than, you know, just go to yaliberty.org and sign up and join. It's, it's free to sign up, but if you want to become a dues paying member, it's like $10 a year. Um, I would recommend doing that. Get involved. Uh, if you're a college student, especially, you know, and there's not a chapter at your college, please start one. Um, I also just want to say thanks for having me on. And thanks for, I've never been like the only guest on someone's show before. So this was very nerve wracking for me, but I appreciate you uh, having me on. I really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, no, you did. You, you did fine, dude. You, you, you spoke very, uh, calmly rationally you got your like i said I'm, I'm very very impressed with uh with how much you you know you should consider i mean i know it's kind of the cliche for libertarians to have podcasts and stuff but you know you might want to consider it or being a co-host um on somebody else's podcast so. i have my friend sarah Razi, who's another state chair uh and yao from new jersey we've been talking about starting a podcast for several months now I actually literally have a YouTube channel and a Twitter page created for this hypothetical podcast. We just have to do all the other stuff. So yeah. keep an well, eye well, out. That might happen. Yeah, do it. And if you have any questions, you want to pick, I mean, I'm not an, I'm not like, you know, as well expert, uh, well experienced and as an expert on this as like some other big heads in the movement. But if you want to pick my brain on some stuff, I'm happy to help you out. I think we, you know, the more voices we have on social media, you know, it, it, even if it just reaches like, you know, a few people in the, like, you know, it's like, I always tell, like, I don't know. Like I, I, I mostly probably am speaking to people who agree with me, but if over the course of a year or two, I reach a, a handful of people and move them just a little bit more towards Liberty, like it, you know, nobody, you know, convinces people in one shot. Like we all kind of work together. Some people plant seeds that other people kind of like uh, capitalize on later. And just the more activism we have, the more effective we're going to be. So um, you know, uh, but yeah, what's, um, uh, and what's your Twitter handle for those who might want to come and follow you? Uh, it's, it's at Ben Heckman underscore, but my handle right now is uh peace symbol, anarchy symbol, the anti-patriot anarchy symbol, peace symbol. <laughs> cool. <laughs> All right, cool. All right. Thanks Ben again for coming on and uh, enjoy the rest of your night. Thanks man. You too. Ohio ready for some quick mental health facts. Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. 
So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.